Welcome to Uncovered, the podcast series that goes behind the headlines to give you an in-depth look at the stories that matter. I'm Kelly Crichton, and on each episode of Uncovered, I'm joined by the National World Reporters who are working to bring information to light and hold those in power accountable. We reveal the journalistic work that goes into the team's investigations and highlight some important stories we think you need to know about, but have gone uncovered in the wider media. Today, I'm joined by Heather Carrick, world reporter, who has been writing a series of articles to mark the one-year anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine. Friday the 24th of February marks the day when Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and back then, there was little hope that the country would find itself where it is at the moment. Russian military power was thought to vastly outrank that of Ukraine's, with much more manpower and updated military equipment. However, the two countries continue to battle it out, with Ukraine putting up a defiant battle against Vladimir Putin's attempted conquest. The fight back from Vladimir Zelensky's troops has been hailed on the international stage, with the Ukrainian leader becoming a symbol of resistance. On today's Uncovered, we're going to look at who is winning the war, the human impact of it, and also what, if anything, can bring the war to a close. Hi Heather, welcome to Uncovered. We've seen so much coverage of the war this past 12 months, but particularly at the start. There was a huge amount of support for Ukraine with countries welcoming refugees and aid being sent from many Western countries. As time has gone on, the news agenda moves and we don't hear as much, except maybe when there's key geographical victory or if Zelensky is campaigning or visiting countries. Will you bring us up to date with how the war is progressing? Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me today. Uh, you know, I've been looking at Ukraine for the past week with the anniversary coming up and um, mm-hmm. in terms of what's happening in the war right now, it, it does seem like it's it's still raging on. Uh, we've got Russia uh, still uh, occupying Ukrainian territory. Uh, I think mm-hmm. a few months ago we did have Ukraine regain some uh, ground again, but since then it's been it's still a battle for, for that remaining ground that Russia have occupied since the 24th of February uh, last year. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's become really prominent in the past uh, couple of weeks, if not a few, past few months, has been the, the international support. I think that's been really important okay. uh, and really prominent from uh, leaders like Joe Biden, Rishi Sunak, German leader Olaf Scholz as well, which is, who made a massive concession with the tanks. I think that's mm-hmm. really that's really been at the forefront of the news of the war so far. Yeah, so the support has been really important for not only Ukraine, but I think for the West as well to show its solidarity with Ukraine and with uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, Of course, we had Zelensky making that European tour just only a few weeks ago in a pursuit for Mm -hmm. for, uh, fighter jets. So it's kind of united the West and Ukraine in this fight against Putin's Russia. And Vladimir Zelensky has been really key to that. Here's James Rogers, co-founder of the Council on Geostrategy, talking about the support Ukraine has received from other countries. The support that both Britain, the United States, Germany um, uh, and Poland, as well as a number of other countries have provided to Ukraine is actually substantial and significant. There's two different dimensions to it. There's the, well, in fact, there's a, there are three. Firstly, there's the political support that it symbolises um, to show that that actually Ukraine, despite the, the, the ferocious attack that the Russians have mounted, a full-scale war, not like anything we've seen since the Second World War in, in Europe, um, that despite this, uh, that, that Ukraine has um, friends. And Zelensky and his government have been very clear as to who they think their friends are. Look at where, the, look at the places that he has visited, the UK, um, you know, the, the US, Poland, there is a very strong uh, relationship between those three countries and 
and Ukraine. Germany has also provided a lot of material, although often sometimes um, uh, less quickly, shall we say, than the leading allies such as Britain and, and Poland. Um, and and that, that's also had some caused some problems. But nonetheless, there has been sub- substantial support. So that has manifested itself politically. It's also manifested itself um, financially. So billions and billions of um, pounds or dollars, euros have been transferred to Ukraine to help um, prop up the country while it is undergoing this uh, attack. And then finally, of course, there's the military support. Now, Ukraine has a fairly strong um, military. Uh, It's been well trained. The UK, Canada and a number of other countries have been helping to train the Ukrainian military since 2015 and 2016. Um, and that's allowed um, tens of thousands of, of Ukrainian troops to be trained to um, modern or Western standards. But the military support that has gone in since um, uh, January, February last uh, year, remember the British sent uh, the initial batch of something like 2,500 light anti-tank weapons to Ukraine before Russia in, in, invaded based on the intelligence that we had at the time. But the subsequent support that has been provided has been ratcheting up constantly. So firstly, it was lighter tank we- anti-tank weapons, missiles and other forms of ordnance that would help the, the Ukrainians. Then it was um, artillery, armoured cars, uh, ar- other forms of uh, armoured uh, personnel carrier. Um, and then finally, most recently, we've seen um, the Western powers uh, provide battle tanks. The UK was one of the leading um, t- t- countries to provide those. Um, and that seemed to open the gates to allow everyone else to provide them as well. So this is we're seeing a steady ratcheting up of support. And I suspect, um, as I said before, that the next thing on the table will be fighter jets. We're not entirely sure which which variety, but there are several in Western inventories within the NATO, NATO um, alliance. Um, but already the UK and some other countries are beginning to train Ukrainian uh, fighters, fighter pilots and aviators to Western standards to to use those um, platforms. So the support is um, relentless and ongoing and the um, leading NATO powers, whether that's Poland or the UK or the US, have all pledged that they're in this for the long haul and that they will not back down um, in, in, in the struggle that Ukraine is, is fighting against Russia. President Zelensky has been a key player in all of this. Talk to us a bit more about him. Yeah, he's, he's become one of the most recognisable names, I guess, in the world over the past 12 months. He was, you know, time person of the year in December. He's really kind of risen up the ranks and become the symbol of resistance for Ukraine and, and, and against against Putin and Russia. I think that's been really important for the Ukrainian people to have someone like that. I think it was such a key moment when he decided to stay. He, of course, had that chance to be rescued by uh, the US at the start of the war um, and, mm-hmm. and basically be uh, and basically flee Ukraine once the war started. Mm-hmm. But he decided that he and his government would stay there and, and fight the war. And he's become a sort of symbol even down to his clothes with the tracksuit and he's not your normal politician. He is one of the people, one of the fighters on the ground. Um, And I think that has been really, really important for Ukrainian people to have that symbol uh, throughout the war. And it's only just galvanised, galvanised Ukraine's position and I guess their unexpected position at this point where they're still fighting Russia 12 months on. War comes at a huge human cost and we've seen thousands and thousands of refugees flee Ukraine. Can you tell us about the human toll this war has taken so far? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, that um, 
not only us in the UK, but people across the world have really um, identified with in this war. It's, it's, it was a thriving European country before the war mm-hmm. happened. You know, Kiev was one of those places where people would go for a city break. But these are people yeah. whose lives have been turned upside down. According to UN figures, 8,000 civilians killed, possibly. Figures are quite disputed, depending on where you come from. The UN said that 100,000 or more Ukrainian troops have been killed or injured in the conflict. The US estimates that maybe even 200,000 or more Russian troops have been killed or injured in the conflict as well, which is just it's huge numbers for a 12-month conflict for it to affect so many people as well. And um, not only for those who've, who've sadly been killed or injured, but there's 8 million people that have, have lost their homes. They've been displaced because of the war. Again, numbers coming from the UN. The UK has accepted around 160,000 uh, refugees mm-hmm. from Ukraine, but most have gone to those neighbouring countries. I think 1.6 million has gone to Poland, mm-hmm. to the west of Ukraine. And also uh, you're looking at countries like Moldova, who've accepted more than 600,000. That's one of the, the poorest countries in Europe who've really had to struggle with, with this kind mm-hmm. of influx of people. But everyone has kind of had to do their part to, to help those people uh, who've had their lives completely turned upside down. Absolutely. They're quite astonishing figures. You've been speaking as part of this series of articles you've been writing, you've been speaking to a Ukrainian refugee, Oksana Yarova, just one of those people that's been displaced because of the war. She lives in Cambridge now with her family. Can you tell us a bit about her experience? Yeah, so uh, Oksana's experience, uh, she's like one of one of um, millions of people in Ukraine who had to flee their home uh, in Kiev, uh, is where Oksana and her family are from. They had to flee uh, early in the war. They didn't know what was happening. Initially, they were underground in Kiev and their son, uh, Timur, who's four years old now, he was ill. They had to flee to find medicine. So they found themselves in Lviv and they had to move to a safer region. And unfortunately, the region that they found themselves in could only house them for two months because there was that many people looking for homes. They then had to move to Venezia, which okay. is where Oksana had family. Um, and again, that region, which was further east of Ukraine again, mm-hmm. uh, came under fire from rockets and from fighting. So it was down to Oksana and her family to, to make that decision to go to the UK and it was through a friend that had been uh, travelling to the UK to, mm-hmm. to flee the war uh, to live with relatives that had told her about the Homes for Ukraine programme. Okay. Of course, that was one of the programmes that the uh, the government launched to allow Ukrainian refugees to move over to the UK. So they've been here since uh, May 2022. I think it has been a, a big adjustment mm-hmm. for Oksana and her family. One of the biggest moments for them as well was the fact that Oksana's husband, mm-hmm. Vlad, had to stay back in Ukraine. So they, he went back to their home in, in Kiev. There is a ban mm-hmm. currently still in place for Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 mm-hmm. uh, from leaving the country, uh, just as the country needs fighters. Oksana explained a little bit to me about how the men in the country each get a card every day and they have to go register with the army and if they get called up, they get called up. And it's just hearing the news every day from... Vlad, they speak, still speak, and um, her and her son Timur have a really good relationship with him. So it's uh, a difficult situation for them, but I think it's something that they're hoping they'll all be able to reunite in the future. Here's Oksana sharing how her young son has been doing since arriving in the UK. It's uh, not very uh, easy for him because... Um, um, he don't know language, 
uh, he know very small uh, phrase, um, some words maybe, but um, it's uh, very. It was very hard for him. Uh, now he is studying at school, primary school, and uh, he start to speaking. Um, he make a f- made a friends, uh, so n- now he is absolutely okay. Uh, he went uh, to back in Kiev. He counting every day <laughs> when we um, maybe back to Kiev. I want to say um, thank you. Thanks a lot of people of Britain for our support, for for our helping, uh, because um, we meet a lot of uh, great people. Uh, everybody um, try to help. Uh, now we rent a house and uh, it was absolutely empty, but a lot of people help us with furniture, with, uh, with everything, <laughs> from sofa to spoon. <laughs> um, so uh, maybe I don't have a lot of words because I don't know English uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I don't speak English well. Um and I have no uh, so many words uh, to say uh, everything what I feel in in, the, in, that ta- in this time. The war seems to not be going particularly in one direction or another at the moment. How might this war actually end? Yeah, it does seem like we're almost at a little bit of a stalemate where Russia is occupying this land, but Ukraine made some gains a few months ago, but there doesn't seem to have been much movement of, of possession otherwise. Mm-hmm. But it could be that the end could be in sight. There's obviously no prediction what could happen in the future. We're looking at things like a frozen conflict, which could uh, essentially means that there's no return or regaining of ground, but there's a, a kind of peace treaty between two countries. So Russia would still occupy the parts of Ukraine that it occupies, okay. and it would be more or less a, a border would be put up, and there would be an agreement between two, the two countries that there would be no fighting over uh, more territory or, or, or pushing further from Russia. Mm-hmm. Of course, that another outcome could be that Ukraine does push Russia out, which, I mean, 12 months ago, the week of the invasion seems mm-hmm. out of this world. Uh, you had yeah. Russia, one of the biggest military powers in the world, uh, moving into uh, Ukraine. It was a former Soviet country mm-hmm. with this sort of age technology. It does seem like a, like a million years ago that we were thinking that Ukraine were going to be pushed over within a week, but mm. we're still here. And I think that's so key to, to the, the Western support that it's, it's received. And who knows, we could see that in the future. We're seeing uh, tanks being delivered to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the possibility of fighter jets being delivered to Ukraine. It could be the, the um, situation that, Ukraine pushes Russia out. But of course, that comes with the fact that, you know, the the war itself didn't really start last year. Mm -hmm. It started in 2014 Mm -hmm. when uh, Russia uh, annexed Crimea. Mm -hmm. Um, So do they go and and try and return Crimea to to Ukraine as well? Or do they just stop at the the land where Russia invaded last year? Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of possibilities there. Here's the third potential outcome that James explained when I spoke to him earlier. The other possibility might be that Russia wins, that Russia 
uh, has a huge mobilization this spring. I think that's quite unlikely given what we've seen over the last year, uh, that the Western powers for some reason uh, relinquish their support for Ukraine or the government in Ukraine um, changes for, for any number of reasons and uh, the Russians make a huge push and gain significant tracts of territory. At this stage, that looks incredibly unlikely, um, but it is in war always a possibility. It is an incredibly fluid and dynamic situation. Um, and uh, under those circumstances, anything is possible, which just goes to reconfirm we cannot allow uh, Russia to win in whatever shape victory looks like to them. Uh, that is why it's so important both for Ukraine and for European security that we continue to uh, assist the Ukrainians in their fight against the aggressor. There's been some speculation about whether Putin's health will hold up and therefore if he can see this conflict through. What have you learned about this? Yeah, that's that's been one of the kind of, I guess, speculation conspiracies on, on the internet mm. for the past couple of months is Putin's health. And um, we've heard rumours of things like Parkinson's, cancer, this sort of stuff affecting him. Mm-hmm. But there's been it, that's exactly what it is. It's speculation. We just don't know. And I don't think mm-hmm. Russia would willingly tell any of us whether it's true. They want to be seen as that superpower, that kind of untouchable, especially Putin wants mm-hmm. to be seen as that untouchable figure. Putin's just going to keep going as long as he can. One of the main issues with that is there's so much speculation over Putin's health, but if Putin does pass away, if he, he does leave the, the role as Russian president, it doesn't necessarily mean that the war's going to end. Mm-hmm. We see this sort of Putinism is what a lot of people brand it, this Putinism in Russia and the Kremlin. It's just going to be another, another Kremlin leader that replaces him and, and still wants to invade Ukraine and, and roll over and, and create that sort of Soviet Republic again. It's quite difficult to say with the amount of Russian propaganda as well that it's kind of funneled out from this war. Yeah. It's merely speculation at the moment, so we couldn't really we couldn't really guess what, what Putin's condition is. It seems like we're quite a long way from resolution anyway, still at this point as we head into the second year of the conflict. Thank you for joining me today, Heather. You can find a series of articles around the story as well as video content on nationalworld.com and you will find us on social media at National World. I'll be back again soon with more analysis of the stories that matter.